How can we prevent sudden cardiac death in patients with advanced heart failure? The use of ICDs. You are listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino from the University of Chicago Medical Center. And with me today is Dr. Jeannie Poole. Dr. Poole is the Professor of Medicine and the Director of Arrhythmia Services in the Division of Cardiology, Department of Medicine, University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. Recent reports have suggested that many patients with advanced heart failure are at substantial increased risk for sudden cardiac arrest, and yet they're not receiving ICD therapy. We have asked Dr. Poole to join us today to review how to evaluate heart failure patients for ICD therapy. Dr. Poole, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I guess we first have to understand what is the risk of sudden cardiac death and heart failure? Is it a very high risk for our patients? It's a substantial risk. For patients with moderate heart failure, sudden death still is the primary mode of death. So if you think about the types of death that these patients might experience, it really falls into two categories, progressive heart failure that ends up in pump failure death, as we tend to refer it, and also the other major mode being sudden cardiac death due to ventricular fibrillation or high-rate ventricular tachycardia. So it's really the primary reason for death in moderate heart failure. As heart failure progresses and becomes more severe, then as a percentage of mode of death, progressive heart failure becomes the greater risk for those individuals. Now, we all have patients who we think are doing great. Their heart failure is well-treated. They're class 1 or early class 2. Does that reduce the risk of heart failure if their heart failure treatment is optimized? Medical therapy is critical for patients all along the way in terms of the progression of heart failure, and medical therapy itself reduces the risk of sudden death. But the clinical trials of implantable defibrillator therapy in patients with heart failure is on top of good medical therapy. And the sudden cardiac death and heart failure trial plus the made it 2 trial, both of them confirm that you can reduce sudden death by 23 to 30% over the course of time. So it continues to be a major public health problem in heart failure patients. So I think the important thing that we need to understand is patients can be doing well, but they can still have sudden cardiac death. So just because a patient is well-treated doesn't mean their risk suddenly becomes negligible. Not at all. And in fact, if you look at patients who are considered New York Heart Association Class 2, these patients have a significant risk of sudden cardiac death over the course of time. And they are also the ones that probably have the most to benefit from defibrillator therapy because you can extend their life because they are not so far down the road with their heart failure where intervening on their behalf is only going to extend their life by a very short period of time. So they're a very important group to identify. Are there factors that we can look at that would help us to predict who's going to have sudden cardiac death? In other words, is there an ejection fraction below which we should be thinking about this? The ejection fraction that has been used in the most recent trial, the sudden cardiac death in heart failure trial, was 35% or less. The prior made it two trial, which looked at patients just with coronary artery disease, used an ejection fraction cutoff of 30%. The current guidelines state that anyone with New York Heart Association class 2 or 3, that is patients with moderate heart failure, in whom they have an ejection fraction identified 
at 35% or less should be considered for an implanted defibrillator. So this is a huge population of patients. Is there any way we can further distinguish that group to try to better choose who gets a defibrillator, or should we just be giving defibrillators to everyone? That's an important question from the perspective of healthcare economics, certainly. And a number of investigators have tried to look at other risk predictors. Unfortunately, to date, there's no single one predictor that could be used to refuse an ICD to patients based upon the presence or absence of that predictor. So currently, the best approach is to use the guidelines as stated and identify patients by clinical parameters that are easily measured, such as the ejection fraction. So in the sudden cardiac death in heart failure trial, the SCUDHEV trial, both ischemic and non-ischemic patients were looked at. Is there any indication in that trial that there's a difference in mortality or a difference in sudden death between the ischemic patients versus the non-ischemic patients? Yes, overall mortality is much higher in patients with an ischemic cause of heart failure compared to those with a non-ischemic cause of heart failure. However, both groups had a similar frequency of sudden cardiac arrest type of rhythms, and both groups benefited to the same degree from the implantable defibrillator, reducing their overall mortality rates. So we really can't use the etiology of heart failure as a discriminating factor in these patients? No, not at all. Now, is there any risk in implanting a defibrillator? Is this why some physicians may be reluctant to offer these devices to all of our heart failure patients? That might be one reason that some physicians are concerned about, and certainly some of the problems that have been in the press over the last couple of years, such as lead failures and alerts on devices, have brought this to the public eye. However, the overall risk of implanting a device is actually quite small for serious complications. We usually quote our patients a serious risk related to implantation of a simple implantable defibrillator as being about a 1 out of 800 to 1,000 risk chance. If you are just joining us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, and we're speaking to Dr. Jeannie Poole, Professor of Medicine and Cardiology at the University of Washington, Seattle, and we're discussing the risk of sudden cardiac death in heart failure. Is there any role currently for antiarrhythmic drugs in patients with advanced heart failure? Yes, there is. Patients have atrial fibrillation that often needs to be suppressed with an antiarrhythmic drug, and also patients who have recurrent episodes of ventricular arrhythmias that then trigger their device often require antiarrhythmic drugs to suppress that rhythm. So even though the device can work as a rescue for them, having repeated bouts of these rhythms often requires antiarrhythmic drug therapy. In heart failure patients, the most commonly used drug is amiodarone. Now, the SCUDHEF trial showed that amiodarone was no different than placebo, but it sounds like you're talking about a different way of using amiodarone. It's really used in patients who have now documented rhythms not primary prevention, to try to suppress those rhythms. Is that right? That's correct. So amiodarone as a primary prevention strategy will not impact total mortality, but it's an excellent drug to suppress and control frequent episodes of arrhythmias in these patients. 
Is there still a role for electrophysiologic testing in these patients, or have we gotten beyond that now, knowing that all these patients can benefit from an ICD? No, not at all. Electrophysiology testing can be very useful, but we use it in a different way than we did, say, 10 to 15 years ago. So patients, for instance, who have recurrent episodes of ventricular tachycardia that are reasonably well tolerated oftentimes can have that rhythm mapped to a specific location inside their heart and then treated with ablation therapy to actually stop it from coming back. So are there patients that you would not put a defibrillator in? I guess I'm looking for criteria that you would use that you would say, all right, this patient has heart failure, the EF is less than 30%, but is not a good candidate for an ICD. What type of criteria would that be? Uh, We generally want patients to have an expected life expectancy of at least a year. That certainly is something I think we all would agree upon. Also, patients who have significant other medical problems making their overall risk, not only for having an implanted device particularly high, but just their general health at such a high risk that implanting a device is not going to benefit them. That would be a group that we would not consider implanting a device in. And certainly the most sick heart failure patients, the group that we consider class 4, do not have a benefit from just an implantable cardiac defibrillator. They need other modalities to improve their total outcome. Is there an age cutoff? Would you not give an ICD for somebody over age 80, for example? Well, that's a great question because we have an aging population in the United States, and oftentimes individuals at age 80 can have a life expectancy even with moderate heart failure that is reasonable and not that dissimilar from somebody, say, a decade younger. So age per se is not generally a reason to withhold implantable device therapy from an individual. Patients who are elderly need to be considered carefully, just like any patient before considering the risks and benefits of implanting a device. So can you speculate on why defibrillators are not being used more than they are, why there's still a large population of heart failure patients who are not even being offered a defibrillator or considered for a defibrillator? I think there's a combination of reasons. One of them certainly is that patients who are the less sick heart failure patients, so again, the New York Heart Association Class two patient, if we think about what kind of patient that is, they're often those who feel pretty well, and if they've been seen by a cardiologist and been placed on appropriate medical therapy, they may only be seeing the cardiologist once a year and perhaps primarily following up with their primary care physician, particularly as you move away from large metropolitan centers. And so the thought that they may be at risk for sudden death may simply not be on the radar. They may not have had a recent assessment of left ventricular function to know that their ejection fraction is 35% or less. So it may be something as simple as these patients are those that feel better, they're not accessing the medical healthcare system as often, and so it's not thought about. Because most physicians really understand the guidelines, they're very aware of the trials that were done, so we have to look beyond that and think about other reasons as to why perhaps they're not being considered for these devices. Certainly the issues that you mentioned earlier, some concerns about risks and recalls and alerts has perhaps put a damper on some referrals. And then there's also a great disparity for certain groups. So there's a gender and racial disparity with receiving implantable defibrillators, certainly, 
And that's another area of concern I think that we need to look at carefully. I've seen some cardiologists approach that they see a patient with new heart failure, ejection fraction is less than 30%, but they want to wait until their medical therapy is optimized to see if the ejection fraction will improve. And so they delay talking about a defibrillator to see if there will be an improvement in the ejection fraction. Is that a reasonable approach to some of these patients? I think it can be a reasonable approach, particularly for patients with a non-ischemic cause of heart failure. If an individual presents and has never been treated with appropriate medical therapy, they may have a significant improvement in their heart failure symptoms and their ejection fraction over the course of three to nine months. Having said that, however, there are no longer restrictions on the guidelines that recently came out from the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, Heart Rhythm Society for management of ventricular arrhythmias. When the SCUDHEF trial was initially completed, CMS placed initially a nine-month restriction, and then that was changed to a three-month restriction for non-ischemic dilated cardiomyopathy, such that you would have to wait that number of months before you could offer a device. Again, that was recently removed from the most recent set of guidelines. So I think it comes down to the wisdom of the physician managing that patient. If they believe that it's reasonable to see if that patient has significant improvement over that first three months, they may find that their ejection fraction improves. On the other hand, if it's a particularly ill patient and they don't anticipate much improvement, certainly it would not be wrong to offer that patient an implanted defibrillator prior to three months going by or nine months. Is there one best way to measure an ejection fraction? I think it depends upon your institution. So if you're at an institution where your echocardiography is very good, then perhaps that's the methodology you want to use if your institution uses nuclear medicine approaches to measure ejection fraction, and that's the most commonly used approach, and that's probably the way that it should be identified in the group of patients at that particular institution. Well, I want to thank Dr. Jeannie Poole, professor of medicine and cardiology at the University of Washington, Seattle. We've been talking about advanced heart failure and the use of defibrillators in these very sick patients. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts, or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening. <laughs>